Good morning and welcome to Oikos. I am observing that something special is happening here. And I don't know if you're seeing this, but there's something that's going on that's different than before. And if you don't recognize it, maybe it's just that I'm crazy, which you'd all believe. But the Psalms, as we engage in the Psalms, that's really what they are. They're observations at a certain time and place, but it's an observation of who God is. And so it lasts eternally. And so as you read through the Psalms, you'll see an observation of a certain time and place, a certain transition in someone's life, a certain feeling that was going on, and then they expound on what God is doing in the midst of it all. And what I'm noticing is that the Spirit is moving within our small little family here at Oikos, and I hope that you're noticing it too. If you're not, that's okay. Not really, but it's okay. What we want you to do is we just want to invite you in deeper then. So if you are feeling like you're kind of floating in and out and you're not really observing a whole lot of things, you're just, you're hearing some music and you're hearing me talk a lot. And then you walk out and you go, ah, I don't know if my life is any different. What we want to do is invite you in deeper because I believe that the Lord is doing something special with each of us but more importantly, collectively. So I want to ask a couple of questions. How is releasing fear going? If you had a fearful moment this week and you stopped and you said, I'm not going to fear because the Lord my God is with me. You don't have to say exactly what I just said, but maybe you just said, I'm not going to fear. How many of you did that this week? Awesome. Awesome. Now, what about those who said, we gave up complaining, so I didn't complain this week. How many of you did not complain this week? (laughs) So I saw a couple of husbands raise their hands. And I just don't know what the rest of your day is going to look like. We are actually going to be in Psalm 30 today, so if you want to open up your Bibles, you can do that. You can also go on our public Wi-Fi and look it up on the web. Psalm 30. This is actually a complaint psalm. (laughs) How does that work, right? So this falls into what they call lament, complaint, or protest category for psalms. And I know that we gave up complaining, but I thought this was very appropriate. In fact, it's a transition. Again, it's an observation from a certain moment in time. And what the psalmist wanted to do was complain until he remembered who God was. And so what I found in this was a different way of approaching life, of taking a posture where you face the reality So if you're taking notes, go and write these down. You face the reality, whatever that is. It may be a great joy or a deep sorrow, but you face it. You don't try to hide from it. You don't try to justify it. You don't try to change it. You just face it. That maybe you have cancer and so you got it. 
Maybe your marriage failed, so it failed. And it was your fault. Maybe you lost your job and you deserve to lose your job. You face the reality no matter what that reality is. And then you respond. You simply respond to the Lord by asking. You ask for help. Simple, clear, whatever the reality is, no matter how dire it is, you ask for help. And then you expect that you'll be rescued. You expect that you'll be rescued. So I don't want to, you don't want to go into this going, well, I'm going to say kind of like a half-hearted prayer and maybe God will do something. No, I'm going to say a prayer of faith, knowing that he'll do something. And then you respond again in thanksgiving. So we see that people pray in urgency all the time. In fact, I think people forget to pray until something bad happens. Has that been the case in your life? Have you noticed that your prayer life increases when there's a bunch of crappy stuff around you? Or when you realize you have nowhere else to turn? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I don't need God until they don't know where else to turn. And then out here they go, well, maybe, maybe he'll listen. For some individuals, they will turn to science. They'll turn to other people. They'll turn to good thoughts. I think a lot of good thoughts and maybe things will change. Or maybe they'll just turn to defeat and say it'll never get better anyways. For the people of Israel, they would often turn to other gods. So they would look around and they would see that there's a god, the most common god was Baal. And so they turned to this Baal god, make a statue, go into these other places of worship and go, oh, maybe our crops will get better if we just turn to Baal. Maybe our life will get better if I just do something different. If I turn to someone else, maybe it will become better. I think you see this in movies or TV shows or even in your own friend's life, that a father would turn to prayer, be urgent in prayer, if his daughter was desperately ill. So you'll see that in programs. You'll see it often, that when a situation occurs that they don't know what they can do, or when the doctors say there is no hope, then all of a sudden that person will turn and begin to pray, hopefully hoping that something will happen. I think prayer often involves sitting with an expectation that the Lord will do something more than just what you're expecting. That the Lord is more powerful than just your words. And we see this 
in a story in the New Testament from Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus encounters this guy who realizes that Jesus is more powerful than even he is, and yet he's a high-ranking official. And even though he can order people to go and do this or that and snap his fingers and they'll go, he realized he was in a situation that he could not control. It's out of his control. And so he turned to the one who he believed could help. And with expectation, he responded by asking. Verse 5, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my child lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into utter darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened. And the child was healed that same hour. In my own life, urgency and prayer can happen when one of my independent children decides to just go and do whatever they want. And so I have this child, and um, one is the last, Lamaria, the other one is the first, Abriana. They are so independent that for their entire lives, Sarah and I have been searching for them because we never really know where they are. (laughs) I think we're doing better now after we've had 10 years, 11 years with Abriana, that we've started to realize that we absolutely have no control over whether she lives or she dies. I know you weren't expecting that, right? We have no control over that. We have no control whether she lives or dies or that she'll stay with us from age three or she'll live or die at age 30, 60, or 90. We don't have that control, even though we'd like it. We've learned to release it. And it's not a, we've released it. It's a daily struggle of every time a Maria or Abriana come up missing, we have to go back to the father and say, she's your daughter, not ours. We can't protect her all the time. We cannot make every choice for her. We cannot stop her from exploring everything she sees. But this is what we can do. We can love her. Even when I want to smash her. Amaria, I say, I love you. 
We can guide her. We can be there when she returns. We can not only just be there, but we can go out and look for her. And then we can welcome her home. That's what we can do. And that's what I believe the Father asks us to do. And so when we lose her, which this, with Amaria, this happens weekly. We start with prayer, and then we look as we pray. One of the most, I think, memorable times of losing Amaria, and there's many, but it happened at the Schmidt home before we moved there. There was a meal that we were all having, and I don't actually remember if it was Thanksgiving or if it was just a regular meal or what it was, but there were more than just us there. There are many people, and we were all eating, and um, we're doing our normal thing, and the kids are playing, and then the question that comes up that I hear at least weekly, probably daily, where's Maria? I don't know. And I take a look, and it's dramatic how something that seems not urgent can turn urgent in a matter of minutes. Because when Sarah goes, I don't see her. Then I begin to have a little bit of worry creep up in my heart. Because Sarah can find the kids anywhere. It's like she's a hawk, and she can just look, and there they are. And I'm like looking right there. <laughs> I don't know where they are. But she can see them just right away, and she couldn't see, she couldn't see her. And we start looking through the house. And what happened with just a few people recognizing that she is missing became a few more. And the person that said, where's Amaria, which is usually either me or it's Sarah, that day it was Sylvia. Sylvia had a panic look on her face. And we had people outside looking. We were looking inside. Nowhere. At this point, calm Aaron begins to go, I think there's something wrong. And then I go into my worst case scenario. Some guy picked her up off the street. Someone ran over her. And she was younger at this time, so, but she could still move pretty fast. She's nowhere to be found. At least five minutes passed, and then someone opens up the door to this little bathroom, and there she is lying on the floor by the toilet, asleep. <laughs> There's Amaria. But the fear and the urgency came over us. And we had to remember that if we don't turn to the Father for help, we will be lost ourselves even while we're looking for someone else. And that's a daily life with the Lytles. Amaria and Abriana have done this to us at Target. They've done this to us wherever we go. They're so independent that they just want to go and explore on their own. And in a moment, they're gone. And you have to go, either be panicked, or you just grasp the fact, 
ultimately, we're not in control. No matter how good of parents we can be, they're God's kids, not ours. This urgency can also happen through a need that comes up. And we saw this happen this last week in our community. For those of you who are on prayer warriors, how many of you know what prayer warriors are here at Oikos? So if you saw someone raise their hand, you need to ask them what this is. But it's a group of people who pray. They pray for whatever it is, whatever need it is. And Marge Batterson, she put on a prayer for her brother. We had a, there's a great benefit that was going on to help pay for some of his medical expenses because he has cancer. And so he got sick this last week. His fever spiked and he had pneumonia. And she put it out. Everyone pray. It doesn't look good. Everyone started praying. And then Marge chimed in in a couple days. He's better. He's been moved to a new room. His fever has come down. Things are better. There's a few things that still need prayer, you know, prayer for, so keep praying for them. That's when we see that we are people who pray for those things that are urgent. We turn to God when there's a deep and dire distress. And that's what he wants us to do. Because things will happen in this world that are out of our control. And if you haven't figured that out yet, I'm going to tell you that things will happen in this world that you cannot control. For those of you who like to control things, I just want to remind you, you cannot control what will happen in this life. So Psalm 30 says, as he looks back, thanking God for what he's already done. He says in verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord, for you have rescued me. You refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. As you read through this, there's an indicator that you may believe that, well, <clears throat> the Lord is going to punish me. How many of you believe that the Lord punishes you? So I want to bring some truth, because that's what Satan wants you to believe. He wants to believe that we believe in a vindictive God. That if you do something wrong, he's going to do something back to you. But the truth is, is the moment that Jesus arrived in the earth, the moment he died and rose again, the Lord no longer punished his people. Because all punishment was placed upon Jesus. Now there are consequences to our own choices. We can get our own selves into messes. But to say that God is doing something to you to punish you, I don't believe is supported by what is said in Scripture about who Jesus is. He took all punishment. He took all grief. He took everything so that we wouldn't have to. God's anger is short 
that his mercy is forever. So when you face reality, you just simply recognize that there's sin in this world. You recognize that you may make a choice that will cause harm to yourself. Or you may be in proximity to those who are making choices that will just kind of fall over to you as well, simply because you're close to them. So if you are hanging out with a group of friends and they're doing a lot of stupid things, some stupid stuff is going to happen to you. Do you all agree? If you make a stupid choice, you can very well have something stupid happen to you. That's how the world works. When you face reality, when you say, it's no one else's fault, it's mine. God's not punishing me here because he punished Jesus instead. God is simply calling me to stop making stupid choices and instead to live with him. Sin brings disease, it brings destruction, and it brings death. Sin brings disease, destruction, and death. These are things we cannot escape. It's in the world. And when people make choices, it can be even more so in our face. When we make choices, it can be even more so in our face. If you eat Twinkies every day, when you have Coke and chips for lunch, when you continue to eat in ways that are not beneficial, you should expect that there's going to be some sort of destruction or disease or death within your body. The awesome thing about God is that he's blessed a few people to be able to do this with grace. But not all of us have that. And so sometimes some of us have to make different choices. Some of us have made choices with money that are continually destructive. But God has given grace to a few that have made destructive choices with their money, and yet they're not in poverty. It's the way the world works. Sin will always bring death, destruction, and disease. It's the way we are living. So you face that reality because you realize in sin you have separation from the Father. And if the Father brings life, then the only thing you can expect is death. In verse 6 it says, when I was prosperous, I said nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. I think many of us can relate in this that we are like the psalmist, that we get caught up in ourselves. So perhaps you got caught up in yourself this last week and you did something really good and it was awesome and you're like, yes, I'm so good. Or maybe you had a success at your job and you said, I did that. Or maybe someone else got honored with something that you did and you got jealous. That they got that honor instead of you. 
I think often we believe that our prosperity happens because we've done something. Or I've heard some people, not you all, but others, believe that they can manipulate God if they kind of, if they do something good, he should do something good for them. So if I do something good, he's going to do something good for me. If I manipulate God, it'll bring prosperity into my life. So I'm going to do some good things, and then something good should happen for me. Have you ever believed that? So I'll raise my hand. I believed it. We all going to be liars in church today? Okay. We have done tit-for-tat kind of stuff with God all our lives. In fact, we have to struggle against that because it's a lie. We have a good father who desires good things for us all the time. Whether we do good things or bad things, he still wants good. When Amaria gets to the point that I want to crush her, I don't want to really crush her. I want to bring good to her life. No matter how much she aggravates me, I want to bring good to her life. And our Heavenly Father wants to do the same for us. The psalmist gets a little messed up that the prosperity that he's experiencing in the now was because everything was so good and God doesn't do anything bad for him. But what happens when we start believing that we can bring about our own prosperity instead of just trusting that no matter what the Lord does, prosperity isn't with what we have. Prosperity is that we're near and in the presence of the Lord. That's prosperity. So that no matter what's taken away from us, we stay near even when it's taken away. And in that, we have a prosperous life. Because in that, we have security, real security. In that, we have real things. A father who stands by our side. A God who brings truth and life. Even if all this other stuff is taken away. Jesus spoke to his disciples about this very same thing. In Luke chapter 12, he says, telling them a story, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and big builder, or build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Prosperity never equals the stuff that we have. Prosperity always equals the relationship with God. So once you face the reality, you can respond by asking. 
a dire situation comes in your life and you say, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to ask the one who can do something. And he responds always with mercy and hope because he'll rescue us even when we don't deserve it. Verse 8, I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged to the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can, I, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? And verse 10, just hold on to verse 10. Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. I think we do this also with the Lord when we ask for help. We begin first with manipulation by trying to tell him why we're worthy to help because we've lost a little sense that of course he's going to help you because you're his child. But instead we try to show him that we're worth something. What would you do if we were gone? How are you going to continue your stuff if we're not around? And this is what the psalmist is doing. What I love about our Heavenly Father is that He just wants us to ask, even if we ask poorly, he still responds with a rescue. Even if you go to him with manipulation, it's just like your child. You just look at them and you go, seriously? That's what you're coming with me? That's what you're going to ask? That's how you're going to ask? Why don't you just ask? And finally, in verse 10, he does. Hear me, O Lord, and have mercy on me. The reality is I'm a sinner and I'm far from you, but I need you. Help me, O Lord. Simple, straightforward ask. When we ask for help, our Father, who is good, gracious, great, and glorious, will help us. He will not refrain from coming into your life and stepping alongside of you no matter what you're going through. Scripture is very clear that he never forsakes us. He never leaves us no matter what the situation is. And we believe that a God, we believe that God rescues. How many of you believe that God rescues? Awesome. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, God can rescue. No matter what situation you find a good friend in, God can rescue. Sometimes that rescue takes a long time. If you think about the Israelites in Egypt, it was several hundred years that they were rescued. They were given an identity apart from slaves. They were given a triumph over the greatest empire the world had known at that time. Verse 11, it says, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. So as he daily, and I believe he daily rescues us, we daily respond with thanksgiving. We change our complaints, and this is what happens with the psalmist that starts out as a psalm of complaint, but actually changes his posture in life. 
becomes an exercise of faith. We find the reality is that we cannot escape the effects of sin. That's the reality. We face it. Then we respond by asking, simply asking God for help. We then re- we know and we expect that he will rescue us because he does nothing else. That's what God has done from the beginning since Adam and Eve tried to get away from him. He set forth a rescue. And he's invited all of us to be a part of that rescue team. And then as we see the rescues day in and day out, we respond with thanksgiving. And we respond with thanksgiving because it's an exercise that helps you remember who he is. And that's why the psalm starts the way it does. It starts by remembering who God is. And even as they go through a dire situation and they ask for his help, and they are rescued, they then remember with thanksgiving. So as we see these things, as we pray for people like Joe, and we see a rescue occur, we give thanks to remember. We give thanks to remember who God is in our life. So easily we can be rescued by God every day and forget Simply forget what he's done. And what we do when we forget is that we walk further and further away from the one who rescued us in the first place. So we give thanks. We respond by giving thanks. So as a community, we've got this thing that I would like us to do. So just say this with me. We will face the realities of this world. So go ahead. We'll respond by asking for help. And then we will expect a rescue. And respond with thanksgiving. Just look for what he's doing. He's doing something amazing and critical and special in your life. You may be blind to it. But he's rescuing rescuing you today from something. Maybe you didn't even ask for it, but he's doing it for you. Or maybe you came in today and there was something heavy on your heart, but you haven't even asked him about it. Respond by asking for help. Expect the rescue and then give thanks for what he does. Ephesians 4, through 24 says this. Since you've heard about Jesus, everybody heard about Jesus today? I hope so, otherwise I totally failed. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. The way we're doing that now in this community is by giving up fear, and stopping our complaining. That means for all of you that think I preached too long this morning, stop that thought. No complaints. So throw off your old sinful nature and your, own, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, 
This is key in 23, instead, because this is our daily struggle. You'll never get there till Jesus takes you home or comes again, but he asks us, he invites us to struggle with this daily. So instead of doing your old stuff, he says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. So when a complaint comes in your mind, stop for a second and let the Spirit fill your thoughts. Before you give up on someone, stop and let your, the Spirit fill your thoughts. Before you judge someone, stop and let the Spirit fill your thoughts. Before you become frantic and scared and worried about the things that are going on around you, stop and let the Spirit, the Ruach, the Numa, fill your life. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on a new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is who God has created us to be. So may we be a people who are not like we used to be, but are beginning to walk the way God would like us to be. May we take that invitation that he gives us daily. May we recognize the rescue and may we give thanks for it. There's a rescue that he gave by dying on the cross, assuring us that we'd have eternal life. And that alone, people, is enough to wake up every day and say, thank you, God. That this is not the end. This is not it. You are transforming us into something new. And we're going to see a glimpse of it very soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this time to engage your word, to hear from the psalmist, and to listen to your word. Lord, I pray that you would, for the hearts within this room that are hardened, that you would soften them. Allow your words to penetrate. For those who readily heard your word this morning and are ready to make changes, give them confidence, Lord. Allow them to hear the word completely and not just walk out and forget, but help them to remember. For those who recognize this morning that there's something wrong with the life that they've been living, that the reality of their life is not good. Lord, I pray that you would breathe grace into them. Not shame or judgment, but grace. Remind them that you love them no matter what choices they made in the past or how they may fail in the future. But we are your children and we are always welcomed home. In your name we pray, amen.